Good morning, Keto. Good afternoon, Kandahar, and good evening, Hong Kong. From Washington, D.C., I'm Ethan Plotkin, and this is Intrigue Out Loud, your go-to audio guide to the globe. On today's show, I'm joined by Intrigue co-founder John Fowler to discuss a former Taiwanese president's historic vacation and the latest in Colombia's war against the cartels. It's all coming up. Morning, John. How are you? Very well, thanks, Ethan. How are you? Doing just fine. So our first story today is out of East Asia, where a former Taiwanese president is making a historic trip to China. So, John, what's the story? Yeah, it's the week of historic trips, isn't it? Um, well, this one is the story of former Taiwanese president Ma Yingzhou, who is planning a visit to China uh, around 10 days at the end of March uh, through to the beginning of April. He will be there for the celebration of what's known in uh, the region as Tomb Sweeping Day, which sounds a bit grim, but it's when observers visit the grave sites of their ancestors and and sort of celebrate their family history. Um, So that's it. That should be a great trip. Wait, 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 whoa, 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 John, wait. <laughs> that's it? <laughs> oh, yeah, there's just one more thing. Um, Ma's <laughs> the first current or former Taiwanese president to visit the Chinese mainland since 1949. So uh, it's, it's, it's a bit more than just uh, a holiday. Uh, yes, I thought there might be more to this story. Uh, lay on, lay on, McDuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, we've got to backtrack a little bit to understand this one here. Um, as many folks might know, the island of Taiwan is now known as the Republic of China, or the ROC, um, and the mainland of China is obviously the People's Republic of China, or the PRC. Uh, The ROC, Taiwan, as we currently know it, was founded in 1949 after a brutal decades-long civil war between the Chinese communists, who are in charge of the mainland China, PRC, and forces from a group called the Kuomintang, which is often given the acronym KMT in kind of anglicized Chinese. Um, and the Kuomintang moved to Taiwan after they lost the civil war to lead a Chinese government in exile. So it's a bit complicated, but that's been the state of play ever since the end of the Chinese civil war in 1949. Um, and that's also the reason why the Chinese Communist Party is so obsessed with Taiwan. They see it as unfinished business. Um, and the leaders of the Republic of China Taiwan from the Kuomintang saw themselves for many decades as the rightful rulers of all of China, sort of biding their time on the island of Taiwan until they returned to the mainland to take charge. So, you know, that's that's the tension between mainland China and Taiwan in a very neat nutshell. <laughs> yes, very neat indeed. And lots of acronyms to uh, to keep track of there. Um, now, bear with me, John. I'm going to I'm going to try to follow your lead here uh, with a pronunciation. What is the story with the Kuomintang that you mentioned? Are they are they still around? That's pretty good, to be honest with you. It's two years <laughs> of Chinese study and you've just managed it in 20 seconds. So it's good. Um, yes, they are still around. Um, in fact, they're one of the two main Taiwanese political parties, um, along with the Democratic Pro- uh, Progressive Party or the DPP. Um, and the guy we're talking about who's taking the trip to China, Ma Yingzhou, was a member of the Kuomintang, the KMT, and he led that party for nearly a decade uh, over the past 20 years. He was president for about, I think, about 10 years, 2008 to 2000, I want to say 16, 16. 18. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he, he led the party for like seven and a half years. So we'll round up to a, nearly a decade. They, there you go. <laughs> but John, I, I'm surprised. I mean, it sounds like... The, the KMT, the Kuomintang, is the historic rival of the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP. So why would Ma 
of all people be choosing to go to China? Yeah, it's a good question. I I guess the short answer is that times have changed. Uh, While today's KMT continues to oppose the Chinese Communist Party, it also continues to see Taiwan as part of China, uh, just that they're the rightful rulers of China, not the CCP. Uh, The KMT's rival, the DPP, the Democratic Progressive Party in Taiwan, is much more independence-minded. So they don't see necessarily China and Taiwan as the same country. They see Taiwan more as a sovereign island distinct from the Chinese mainland, even though they'd never say as much because of the perpetual threat of invasion from the mainland Chinese, the Communist Party. Um, And so the distinction is between the KMT and the DPP, the two parties in Taiwan, is important. It might seem insignificant because they both oppose the Communist Party in China, mainland China. But in practice, it's a pretty major difference. Under Ma's leadership, the Guomindang and the Chinese Communist Party negotiated more than they ever had in the past. They pursued trade policies to tie their economic policy, uh, their, their economies closer together through economic policy. And, and Ma even became the first Republic of China, a Taiwanese president, to meet with a, a Chinese Communist Party leader when he met Xi Jinping in 2015. So... Ultimately, Ma's closeness with the mainland was his political undoing. That's that's the key here. In 2014, students in Taipei occupied Taiwanese parliament for more than three weeks to oppose a cross-strait trade agreement that critics said would have given Beijing tons of power over the Taiwanese economy. And Ma was actually pretty unpopular when he left office in 2016. And, and how about the Democratic Progressive Party, the DPP? How do those leaders approach their relations with Beijing? Yeah, quite quite differently is the answer. Over the last seven years since Taiwanese president, the current president, Tsai Ing-wen, who's a member of the DPP, um, since she was inaugurated, the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, and I'm just going to keep explaining the acronyms, <laughs> otherwise it gets hard to follow, but the Chinese Communist Party has refused any and all official interactions with the Taiwanese government because Tsai Ing-wen rejected the notion that Taiwan and China were one nation with two systems. So Tsai has overseen much closer relations with the US and other Western governments. And obviously, former US Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan last year, which kicked off a lot of you know, sound and fury. Um, and Tsai Ing-wen is expected to visit Washington in the coming weeks on her way to South America, um, probably around the same time that her predecessor is off to visit China. So it's, it's all happening. So uh, Ma is in China and Tsai Ing-wen is in the United States. So it's kind of like good cop, bad cop, right? Uh, sort of. Uh, that that would kind of suggest, though, that the KMT and the DPP are working together, which in reality they do not. They're serious political opponents. Uh, they've actually, I think, brawled in parliament before too. With these, fa- there are famous videos on the internet of politicians fighting in the Taiwanese poli- in the Taiwanese parliament, and that's between KMT and DPP politicians. Um, so I guess from the CCP's perspective, the Chinese Communist Party's perspective, it's more like an enemy we can work with to achieve our goals, the reunification of Taiwan, and we can work with the KMT to kind of get towards that, uh, and an enemy that they must defeat at all costs, which is the DPP that sees Taiwan as a sovereign, separate island. Um, so I, I think the reason all of this is important and the reason we're talking about it, Ethan, is that Taiwan has presidential elections next year. Um, I read recently in The Economist uh, a few weeks ago that 
um, opinion polls find support for both main parties hovering around 25%, with the rest of Taiwanese population uncommitted to either party. So we're obviously a long way out from that election, but um, it's a consequential one. And if the DPP retains power, we shouldn't be surprised to see the mainland, China, the Communist Party, ramp up pressure on the island even more. All right, now I'll play the interlude music. Today's show is sponsored by Highland Titles. If you're looking for an internationally intriguing gift, this is the one for you. Lawmakers in Scotland legally recognized souvenir plots of land in 1979. These gift-sized plots of land can be bought and sold with ease. And Highland Titles has been selling these plots since 2006, inviting customers to style themselves as lord or lady of their estate. The land is managed as a nature reserve and thousands of people find their plots yearly. Prices started at only $50. Check out the link in the show notes to learn more. All right, welcome back. Next up, we are heading to South America. John, what's the story? Yeah, we're off to Colombia for this story, uh, where the relatively new president, Gustavo Petro, has suspended a ceasefire with the country's largest drug cartel, uh, the Gulf Clan. The ceasefire, the original ceasefire they agreed to was in December last year, and it was part of President Petro's plan for this total peace with the cartels. Um, of course, every Colombian president has pursued peace in in their own way, um, but most have done so by trying to defeat the cartels militarily. Uh, president Petro decided to negotiate with the cartels instead, and it's fair to say that he, when he was elected, that was a fairly big part of his platform, and you know he got a mandate to do just that. But what's changed is that the cartels allegedly attacked um, Colombian water infrastructure and they shot up police recently. Uh, Petro reversed course last Sunday, writing uh, on Twitter that there is no ceasefire with the Gulf clan. The public force must act immediately against the structures of this mafia organization. Wow. Quite a quite a 180 there. I mean, what was the thinking behind this negotiation policy in the first place? Yeah, well, I think it's important to understand a little bit more about President Petro to, to answer that question. He, he was born in a fairly poor family and joined a rebel guerrilla group called the M19 when he was 17 years old. And he started to play a political role in that group. Um, and he was arrested in 1985 and tortured for a few days. He says that experience convinced him that violent resistance wasn't the answer to Colombia's problems. Uh, and he stayed within the group, within M M19, uh, but he decided to sort of pursue a political uh, agenda as a means to inspire change. He ended up winning a seat in Colombia's lower house in 1992 and then won a seat in the Senate in 2006. And at that point, he was really one of the country's most popular politicians. Um, he finally became the mayor of Bogota, the capital, in 2012. And then he ran a couple of times for president unsuccessfully, but he finally won the presidential election last year and became Colombia's first ever left-leaning president. So imagine that. Every president before him in Colombia has declared themselves to be conservative or, or, or centrist, cent you know, center-right. Uh, Petro is unapologetically left-wing. So you can kind of understand why he took such a different approach. Part of it is because of his past as a guerrilla fighter and his, and his experiences. And part of it's because of his political ideology. The two are intertwined, obviously, but basically the left-leaning idea in Colombia is that if you make the conditions for peace possible, then peace will become possible. 
and and that calculation no longer seems to be working? Well, it, apparently not. I I mean, some of the groups that Petro says he signed the ceasefire with last year say that they never agreed to anything. And as for the others, it's, you know, it's hard to stop fighting if you're a rebel group. That's what you're designed to do. And it's mostly what you've known, right? Um, yeah, and there's also a lot of money in drug smuggling and illegal mining and human trafficking. And the old rivalries don't just disappear if you sign an agreement with a new government. Um, and I think we have to remember that war between the government, the cartels, and the rebel groups operating in Colombia has been going on for, you know, 60-odd years. And it's claimed the lives of almost half a million people officially, and probably a lot more unofficially. So I guess there's just a ton of economic momentum to keep fighting. Colombia is still the largest cocaine producer. Um, 60% of cocaine exported, but uh, of Colombia's cocaine is exported by that Gulf clan, the one that Petro has just um, declared war on, so to speak. Um, so, you know, it's, it's hard to know how you stop that. I think before we you know, all go in despair. There is a reason, at least one, for optimism. Um, and that's in 2016, the Colombian government signed a peace agreement with a group called the FARC or the FARC, which was among, the FARC were among one of the most rebel, uh, active rebel groups over the last six decades. Um, and obviously the, the peace agreement hasn't been perfect. There's been isolated reports of it being broken and, and, and political problems, obviously, but it's mostly held together. Uh, and that kind of bodes well as this break in the ceasefire with the Gulf clan hopefully might be temporary and that you, they can get it back on track. But, you know, who knows? Hopefully the trend towards peace in Colombia continues. Let's hope so. Thanks, John. Cheers, Ethan. Here are a couple other stories we're tracking today. The French government survived not one, but two no-confidence votes on Monday, which will guarantee President Macron's controversial pension reform will become a law. Protesters have continued to battle police in streets across France in opposition to the legislation. Chinese President Xi Jinping was in Moscow on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday for a visit with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Xi and Putin have grown significantly closer since the declaration of their, quote, no-limits partnership in the weeks leading up to the Russo-Ukraine war. And that's going to do it for me. By the way, speaking of Xi Jinping, he's a pretty secretive guy, but we here at International Intrigue have swept the internet for the best fun facts about him. Check out the newsletter to learn more. In the meantime, I'm Ethan Plotkin. See you on Friday.